It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God and knows God, and he who does not know God, uh, and he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. When uh, my wife and I, we uh, went to Bible college up in L.A., a long time ago now, but one of, when we were, we were studying this verse, and they introduced us to a song for this verse. Has anyone heard the song that goes for this verse? I should make my wife sing it. She's got a much prettier voice. Can you sing this for us, please? It's King James. It's King, of course it's King James. Come on, it's Bible college. Love it, let, let us love, love one, one another. another. Yes, you heard this before? For love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. Here's the change. He who loveth not... Nice. Love is not God, for God, God is love. You've never heard this. Back to the beginning. Love it. Let, let us love, love one another. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Okay. <laughs> she didn't know I was going to make her do that. I'm sure she's impressed. Uh, but they, they taught us this little song. It's a children's song to memorize this verse. This is a big one. Beloved, let us love one another. It's the King James. I want you to remember that. You don't have to memorize this whole verse. But in your heart and in your head for today's message, beloved, let us love one another. Okay? Would you do that for me? Say it with me. Beloved, let us love one another. Let's pray and then let's get into this. Father, we, uh, again, we bow our heads and our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do the work that only you can do. Father God, uh, try as we might, we can't do what one whisper from the Holy Spirit would do. So, Spirit, would you speak to our hearts and our minds today in this place? Would you anoint the message, Father? Would you change us from the inside out? We love you and bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the next verse I want to read is comes out of 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4 through 8. Uh, this is the famous chapter on love. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. Love never ends. If you're in King James, love never fails. I like that better. Amen? So that's the famous chapter on love. Now, our text comes, beloved, let us love one another. We read 1 Corinthians 13 because that is a great definition of love. Like, how do I love somebody? Right? Is it just telling them I love them? Or is there a more tangible thing? And, and John Piper clarifies here. Look at this quote. I think that's what I have next up here. He says, 1 Corinthians 13 is not a definition of love, but how to apply love. Right? It's one thing to know a definition, and I'm going to hit you with a lot of definitions today. But we need to know actually how to do this. Because loving is, biblical love is an action. It's not a word. It is a word, obviously. But you get what I'm saying here. It's not just a feeling. Feelings come and go. We've all, those that are married, we, have, we all love our spouse, yes? Have you had moments where you didn't think you loved your spouse? Even for a brief moment in the sun, it's like, God, Lord, why have you given me this woman? Has that ever crossed your head if you were a man in this room? Yeah. And I'm sure everyone has thought, Lord, why have you given me this man, right? The problem with feelings is they're fleeting. They're based upon circumstances, right? We feel more love when somebody does something, right? We have these emotions. But the problem is biblical love is consistent. It never fails. It never ends. Right? It's something that exists even when things are terrible. Love happens. So love, then, we have to know how to apply it. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go through every one of those things that Paul talks about, how to apply it. Right? And you're like, oh, God, everyone? Yes, everyone. So we're going to move quickly. I'm not, we're not going to uh, – I will probably spend too much, way too much time on the first couple of points. We're going to blow through the rest of so the get out of here on time. That seems to be my MO. 
But let's go to the first one, is patient. Patient, yes. So if you have kids, you know how tough it is to have patience. It says love is patient. That's the first thing. But patience comes with kids. It comes with coworkers. It comes with our relationship with our spouse. It comes in a church. We have to be patient with one another. Now, I think it's interesting that Paul, the first thing he says is love is patient. In James 1.4, it has this wonderful uh, verse that says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and tired. Lacking nothing, wanting nothing. See, patience is the cornerstone for godly character. It says, let patience have its perfect work, that the man of God may be complete, lacking nothing. See, when patience, when you thoroughly worked out patience in your life, you are a complete human being. The problem is, what's the one thing we all lack? Patience. There is something in your life that you don't have patience for. There is something that, that gets you going, that gets you out of love. So the cornerstone to make all of love work is patience. Definition of patience from the Oxford Dictionary. It says the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think this is all of us, right? There's something that causes us to lose our patience. Now, you think of God, his great patience towards us, right? You think all these things, we're going to think about how we apply them, but we're going to think about how they apply to God. And the Bible says that God is slow to anger, right? He's very patient with us. It's actually God's patience and mercy that we're not consumed, right? That he doesn't just say, I'm just done with this, right? There was one point in all of time where God said, I regret doing this. And that was right before the flood. And yet he still found favor with Noah. So God's patience is, is amazing. So what do we do about this? We don't want to just learn this today. If you're taking notes or you're doing anything, you got your phone. It's just, you know, sometimes it's impossible to tackle everything at once. But can you think of an area in your life where you need to exercise patience? Love is patient. Where, what's, what's your trigger? What's the one thing you know you're going to lose patience with? Make a note of that and begin to pray about this, right? You've got to have victory. It's not good enough just to know, oh, oh, this is a problem. It's okay. It's just who I am. No, it's not okay, right? It's time to fix yourself. Like, it's time to grow up. We have to grow up. The one problem I, I think facing the United States, this actually sounds like a Michael Scott quote. He's like, there's five enemies facing America. You guys know. Okay, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> if you know what it is, it's an amazing quote. Anyways, there's a big problem facing the, the U.S. and the church, especially, is division. We're a very divided country, and the church is becoming very divisive politically, right? Denominationally. Um, what sin is like, it's, it's coming. And it's going to get, I have a feeling it's going to get much worse before it gets much better. And the problem is, is Christians just haven't been growing up. Right? We talk a lot, but we don't act like Jesus. We don't take this stuff to heart. It's not enough to do this on Sunday morning or agree with it. It's called mental assent. Right? No, I agree with that theory. I really like this. We'll do something about it. Maybe you are. Maybe you're not. And that's who I'm speaking to right now. I'm including myself in this. Be patient. Be patient with everybody. Don't say just patient with believers. Don't be just patient with people you like. Be patient with everybody. The Bible says love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You got a terrible boss? Be patient. Does your spouse need a lot of work? Be patient. It doesn't matter. You're like, well, they're not trying. God never asked you if they're trying. Be patient. Amen? Amen. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. You, this is step one. So find it. Start to pray about it. Ask God how to, how to get victory in this area. Okay, number two. 
Love is kind. Definition of kind, it says sympathetic or helpful nature, as in, I was helped by a kind stranger. In Luke 6.35, God says, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For who? God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So we see here the Bible likens the word kind to actually meeting people's needs, right? My kind neighbor, trim the hedges for me. My kind this. So it's not only being nice, there's an action to it, right? And it also encompasses just being a nice human being. Kind, right? We all know people. You've heard of a kind smile. Oh, that person's got such a warm, kind smile. they got such a kind demeanor. Love is kind. Right? Are you kind to people? Really think about that. Not just the people you like. When people, what would what would people who know you say about you? Are you kind? I got bad news. I am not. <laughs> you know, I'm, it's, it's an area. I'm, I'm terse. I think I'm very friendly, but I'm kind of rude. I, yeah, my problem is more rude, which is coming up. I'm kind. I'm rude. You're kind. Thanks, Heidi. <laughs> Heidi, I think you're kind too. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? I added that slide and I blew right over it, didn't I? A man, Jack, in the back. I can just feel the disappointment. He was being kind by not calling me out. Uh, here's what I want you to do. Can you go back? Um, go to the slide. So we had beloved, let us love one another. I added this right before the service. I shouldn't have done it because it's not in my notes. Uh, here's what I want you to do is when we learn a new term is I want you to mentally think like this. Beloved, let us know, love one another. The first term we learned was patient. Well, look at this. Next one. It says, beloved, let us be patient with one another. Right? So love is patient. Right? So I want you to, that's why I want you to memorize love. Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, let us be patient. Beloved, let us be kind to one another. Right, like these words we're learning from Corinthians as an application of love. Right? Now, you may be a really kind person. My wife is very, very kind. But we're going to hit a couple words that she is not. And so she's going to focus in on those. I, I'm lacking in all these. I'm not just dogging my wife. Right? So it's like, <laughs> Beloved, let us be kind to one another. Let's keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm going to move quickly because there's a, you know there's like 16 terms here. <laughs> if we spend if we spend two or three minutes in each one, we're going to get out late, so we're going to move quickly. Okay, the next one says love does not envy. Now sometimes we have to understand. You guys know what an antonym is? So we have synonyms with similar words. Antonym means the exact opposite. So an antonym for love is not envying is contentment. Right. So sometimes when you're doing Bible studies, it's like it tells me not to do this, but sometimes think of the antonym. It's like well, what what should I be doing? So love is content, right? It does not envy, to be satisfied. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. There is a lot in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that talks about contentment, right? It says if we have food, clothing, and shelter, you should be content. And the problem is we begin to envy what other people have, other people's positions in life. That's not a very good biblical attitude. God want you to be grateful for where you're at right now. Now, this is the big problem, actually, throughout the Bible, because if you go back, and we take a big macro view of the Bible, this is what I should be doing right now, for time's sake, is you look at Israel, they come out of Egypt, they were slaves, right? Nobody wants this condition. Slavery is tough, God is not happy about it. He delivers his people from bondage after hundreds of years, and they go out into the desert, right? So the, the, Israel cried out. Remember, the Egyptians were beating them. They were killing them. They were slaves, right? They were making their life miserable. And God delivers the people. They're in the desert. And God is feeding them miraculous manna. And the people begin to complain. Hey, back in Egypt, we had onions, leeks, garlic. We had the good stuff. This is what you're feeding me right now? Now, you think about how ungrateful, how 
These people are just not content, right? You know what I mean? It's like, hey, what would be better, bread in the desert or slavery and you get some garlic on on your chicken wings, right, or on your steak, right? And this is how ungrateful these people are. So God sent quail from the sky, right? He stuffed them so full of quail, right? He's like, you want quail? Here you go, right? And he starts to lose his patience. He starts to lose his cool there for me. Contentment. It's like it's the big problem of humanity throughout the beginning, right? Adam and Eve, we could even we could liken this to the garden. You can eat of any fruit. There's just one tree. Just one tree. There's acres of fruit trees. Like, don't don't eat that one. What's the one what's the one tree they go and eat from, right? Just be content. Learn to be content. Check your heart. Okay, so beloved, let us not envy one another. Right? Beloved, let us love each other. Let us not envy each other. Next one, love does not boast. The antonym for this is humility. This is freedom from pride or arrogance. This is another big one in the Bible. Um, When you come across somebody who is boastful, you know it, right? But the Bible says, actually I should just read it, James 4.10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is a big one. This is a pride and humility. These are tough issues of the heart, right? So it's learning to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And I can't give you all the solutions for these things, but there's wonderful books on it. These are things that you have to learn to to pray through, that if you're a boastful human being, if you're making all the stories about you, right, you go into a room and it's like, I did this. This is what I'm doing. This is what I... Like, just listen to your language. How many eyes are coming around? I this, I this, I this. Because you may not realize it, right? Oh, I got this going on, I got this. It's like you don't let anyone else get a word in. It's like begin to talk about other people, lift other people up. Amen? Or in my case, I just need to stop talking. Okay, next. Love is not arrogant. Now, arrogance is showing an offensive attitude of superiority. So now we got boasting. Now we get a little bit worse. Arrogance, right? Where it becomes, boy, this is a whole other level. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Arrogance. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking, at your, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So the cure for arrogance really is to begin to serve other people. You know, you go from boasting, and the, uh, boasting eventually leads you down to arrogance. Does anyone know anyone that's truly arrogant? Like, it's, it's rough to be around. Yeah, like, arrogance is, uh, there's only one person to raise their hand. I wonder if we know the same person. I hope it's not me. <laughs> um, but a truly arrogant person is tough to be around. And if you, if you are kind of vain like that, you know your heart. I'm not going to call you out. But, you know, if there's that vanity in your heart where you do think you're better than everybody else, you need to really begin to look at other people and serve other people. That, this is how you get out of this. It says begin to value people more than yourself. Consider them above your own self. Meeting other people's needs. Praising other people. Stop praising yourself. Praise other people. Amen? The last time you complimented somebody else's virtue, someone else's skill, somebody else's wisdom. And the Bible isn't against us. Like, oh, we shouldn't praise our praise God. It's like God is given these gifts. Amen? It's nice to encourage other people. Right? That went over really well. Dead quiet. Okay, next one. Love is not rude. Here we go. Now we're getting to it. Right? The antonym for rude is uh, gentle. 
Philippians 4 or 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, the one thing Jesus described himself when he's to, in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly and meek of heart. He just, Jesus described himself as being gentle. A lot of people have a problem with being rude. So again, one of the big problems facing the church and political discourse, we'll say in our country, is just how rude people are to each other. People aren't gentle. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Nobody knows how to answer anybody with a soft answer. You can have a completely legit, valid point, right? But how you speak to somebody and answer them back, it just puts up walls in other human beings, right? When someone is rude to you, what's the first thing you do? You're ready to fight back, right? This is a church full of brains and brains. You guys are trained to fight back, right? A little bit of aggression, and all the walls go up. They're like, oh, I'm being challenged right now. Right? The soft answer turns away wrath. One of the things they teach you in negotiations, and then just, uh, I don't know if any of you, like in business, you've been in hostile negotiations. Um, and this kind of the world that I live in, like, you know, you just have to discuss tough things. And there's money involved, which makes everybody get a little bit weird. And lowering your voice and talking like this, it's amazing how it de-escalates a room. People start raising their voice, and you have the floor. You start talking like this because you have to stop and listen, right? And it sounds so corny. It really works. In a room where people start raising their voice, and you start talking like this, start being kind. Think about the words you're saying. People listen to it. it sounds very Mr. Rogers, even it works. I promise you. I do this for I do this. I do this for a living. I haven't learned to talk to my wife like this yet. I love you, sweetheart. <laughs> Don't be rude. This is a big one for a lot of you. How do you talk to your kids? How do you talk to your spouse? How do you talk to coworkers you don't like or your subordinates, right? We all have that one knucklehead that works for us, right? Feel the need to talk down and be a little bit rude. It's not love. It's not God. It's not funny and it's not cute. See, the problem with me is I make a lot of excuses. I think things are funny. By nature, I find a lot of things funny. I really need to start checking myself because there's some things I think that are funny that are just rude and not love. I might really be hurting other people. I need to be considered that. Amen? And maybe you have areas in your life. Beloved, let us be gentle with one another. Okay, love does not insist on its own way. Now, this isn't on the screen, but I'm going to read you two scriptures. One says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Then Paul also says, he says, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So when it says love does not insist on its own way, this doesn't mean like, hey, I want pizza for dinner. Oh, the Bible says don't insist on your way. That's not what it's talking about. It says when it comes to the matter of preferring somebody else, you're fully willing to back off of your demands. That make sense? Like, hey, if you come over to my house and you're a very strict vegetarian and you think that meat is murder, I don't know if you think this, but if I know this, now I don't think that, right? I, I might even think it's a little bit ridiculous. Did we just lose this one again? We just put the batteries on. Yeah, it died again. I'll use this. I'll use number four. Sorry. Don't lie, guys. You guys, this happened last week, right? If you were here, this happened to Trace Thursday. I felt okay. Good. Use number four. How's that? Good. Um, oh yeah. So if you are a meat is murder kind of person, like you were just radically offended by um, this. If you come to my house, how rude would it be for me to be like, oh, I made you a salad, but you're going to watch me eat a steak? No, you know what? For your conscience, for your sake, I'll have a salad. Right? That's not insisting on my own way. See, my own way is to eat the steak. Does that make sense? I know this, yes. It's a silly analogy. 
But when's the last time you conceded your personal liberties for the sake of somebody else? Amen. The Bible says all things are lawful, right? All things are lawful. When's the last time you put down your liberty? Like, that's the one thing tough you don't want to hear as an American, right? Because we, we're trained, and I think rightfully so, like, like we want our civil liberties from our government. But when's the last time, like, that's not Christ, right? Christ says, hey, if this, I will lay this down for your sake. That's a tough thing to do. That, that's love, right? Jesus laid down his life. Jesus, want, did you know Jesus wanted to live? Hey, Father, is there any other way? He's crying in the garden. Jesus did not insist on his own way. He said, nevertheless, your will be done. And he laid down his life. Beloved, let us prefer one another. Next, love is not irritable or resentful. I'm going to combine a couple of these. Love is not irritable or resentful. So, irritable... Uh, the antonym is cheerful. Uh, irritable is defined as easily exasperated or excited, right? He gets irritable when he gets tired. Irritable is also means you're overly responsive to stimuli, right? So the littlest things bug you. I don't know if anyone can relate to this. I would say this is a thing for my wife, that uh, she gets bugged easy. She's like, oh, this is irritating. Like, she's not mad. It doesn't ruin her day. But like little things, right? Oh, this is irritating. But love is not irritable. Resentful is a feeling of indignant displeasure or persistent ill will at something regarded as wrong, insult, or injury. The antonym for this would be slow to anger and forgiving, right? That you're just resentful. You just can't let it go. It's like bugging you. So the idea of irritable and resentful. When we think of the Lord. In Psalm 145 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. This is one of our, our prompts. Uh, for the 31-day challenge that Trace did, Trace is walking us through. you got to think about this, friends. Like, if love is not irritable, you got to find a way to get to the root cause of why, why do these things irritate you so much? Why can't you let these things go? And we all have our, again, we all have our triggers. Right? I have things that irritate me or things that I resent. But that's not love. Right? We have to, to learn to let go quickly. Actually, I, I know one pet... I should have checked with you if I could use these stories. One pet peeve of my wife with me is, I would say one thing I'm very good at is I can just let go of things very quickly. I could be super angry then 20 seconds, and she thinks it's almost like it's bipolar, but I've just learned to let it go. It's like, I am angry, then like the Lord gets hold of my heart, I'm like, okay, this is stupid. And I'll just, my whole demeanor changes, I'll just let it go. And then she's still fired up, and then I'm all nice about it. Hey, you want to go get some ice cream? And she's like, what is wrong with you? Are you schizophrenic? And I'm I'm really not. I've really just learned where it's like, I can see myself heading in the wrong path and I'll just turn it off. Like, oh, whoa, whoa. And it's very alarming if you watch it because it does seem like this guy's got some personality disorder. I don't. But this idea of learning not to be that irritable when things trigger me. So, so if love is not irritable, it's not resentful. Again, this may be you, it may not be you. Like I said, just apply it. If, it, if it's you... Really begin to pray. Like, write that down. Love's not irritable. It's like, so why am I irritated? Why does everything bug me all the time? Begin to pray about it. Get to the root cause. Like, if you're just a person that's constantly flustered because of life, right? Oh, the milk's gone. Oh, what next? My husband slept in. Oh, great. They want me to come in 10 minutes early today. You know what I mean? It's like, man, you just walk through life like that, just frustrated at everything. It's like, man, like, the love of God, the peace of God is having a hard time getting in there. Right? That, and it goes back to patience. So find a way. Pray about it. The Lord is full of compassion. He's slow to anger and merciful. Just 
You need that. So I put on here, beloved, let us forgive one another. Let's be slow to anger with one another. I think it's less people. Yours might be people. Mine is more like circumstances that, that get me out of this. Okay, next it says, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Uh, I'm going to read this, this thought here, because uh, I don't want to spitball too much on this one. It says, true love rejoices in what is right and good. Anything that covers up sin or seeks to justify wrongdoing is the polar opposite of godly love. Love does not sweep sin under the rug, and love does not try to find ways to get away with bad behavior. And it does not put up with injustice. Instead, it treasures truth, celebrates good behavior, and promotes virtue. Listen to this. True love has nothing to hide. Right? So we talk about it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. The Bible says confess your faults to one another. Right? The only way wrongdoing is gotten rid of is through repentance, through speaking it out, right? whether to the Lord or to each other. And rejoicing at wrongdoing. Uh, I'm going to keep reading this thought. Further, to not delight in evil or rejoice in wrongdoing, as the ESV says, carries the idea of not gloating over someone else's guilt. It is common for people to rejoice when an enemy is found guilty of a crime or caught in a sin. This is not love. Love rejoices in the virtue of others, not in their vices. Sin is an occasion for sorrow and not for joy. And I'm guilty of this too, right? When you see a real dirtbag get caught and they finally get their comeuppance, right? The criminal is caught. Does no one use comeuppance anymore? <laughs> Sorry. I read some Dickens at the end of last year, so there might be some weird words. But we like justice to be served, but that's not a cause. That shouldn't be a cause of rejoicing, right? Like sin. It's tough. It's counterintuitive for us, right? It is for me. Even saying that, it's like, man, I like, you know, this guy needs to get his. But that's not God's heart, right? God is for justice. But he's after more. He's after repentance. Right? Because imagine if we got what we deserve. Mm-hmm. And then we finally see somebody else get what they deserve. And you're like, yes. And it's so harsh. Right? Because we've all done it. We've done something. We've done a lot of things that require justice. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. So we should rejoice when we see people repent. We should rejoice when we see people change their ways. When we see people suffering under the weight of their sin, it should cause sorrow. Maybe we should pray about it, right? Maybe that's a prayer. Hey, Lord, just thank you that justice is served. But I pray that while it's being served, Lord, that you would soften this person's heart, that they could learn from this. Right? The penalty, the punishment of sin is tough. Maybe that's the moment where we're praying for that person's heart, that they can realize the error of the ways and actually repent of it, right? Just because justice is served doesn't mean the heart has changed, right? So let's not waste it. Psalm 1, 1 through 2 says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed person despises evil, but loves God's truth. We reflect on it constantly. Amen? We get to the end of this. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It endures all things. I think it'd be helpful to read this from the Amplified. It says, love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best in every person, and hopes are faithless under all circumstances, and endures everything without weakening. So we see here that love is this great motivator that allows you to stand up under the most egregious trials and circumstances of life. 
when your heart is broken, that it's love that equips your faith. Amen? Faith worketh by love. Like love is it. I like to think of it this way. It's like the engine that, that runs our Christian life. Right? It's, without love, faith doesn't work. Right? The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right? So you see like an equation. I don't want to say God is an equation, but you can see if you don't have love, you don't have faith. If you don't have faith, you can't please God. Right? So we've got to go back to the beginning. There's a lot of people that claim they have faith, and that's why James is like, look, even demons believe and shudder. Like, these guys believe. They have faith. But they have a lot of other things wrong with them. But their faith doesn't profit them anything. So we have to go back to the beginning. That love is a thing that holds us up. When you're, Friends, if you haven't gone through life-changing season, you will. Just being on this earth is we're going to suffer at some point. I don't know if you've had your heart broken. Have you lost a loved one? Right? The death of somebody that you love and you're close to. Like, these things that you just... You just cry out why. Right? Like we, we see these things. And it's our love that bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. One area I want to focus on, on this, the Amplified says that love believes the best in every person. And this is a tough thing. But this is the heart of it. Because when it says love believes all things, it's not asking you to believe every crazy conspiracy theory, right? Because I would love to talk to you about Bigfoot. I've got some ideas. I'm from Oregon. And I grew up deep in Bigfoot lore. But this verse is not telling you to believe all things like that. It, like, it literally says believe all things. That's not what it meant. It's meaning like love. We believe the best in each other. Has anyone heard the expression, especially a lot in the last like five years, is that I've lost faith in humanity. Has anyone heard this? And they didn't just say it jokingly. They meant it. It's like, man, I just don't. You know, I just can't trust humans. I don't like humans. Love finds a way to believe the best in people, right? Because we're made in God's image. What made me think about this message was actually Trace and I were having a discussion. We had our, we kicked off the year with our elders meeting, kind of laying out our thoughts and plans and ideas. And I had told Trace some of my, my personal resolutions of some things I'm doing and some things I've already learned along the way, like we're only six or seven days into this year, What's Thursday? The eighth or eight days? It was five days when we had our meeting. But the Lord was already showing me some errors in my way. And one idea I, I had, so one of my, I don't, I don't want to say this out loud. I'm going to say it because I think it'll help you. I don't want to tell my wife. Uh, one of my resolutions myself was, is I travel a lot, so when I'm home, I will never go to bed without the dishes in the kitchen being clean. I did not want to tell everybody this because once you tell people, you're going to be held accountable. And I told Trace, and Trace comes over a couple times a year, but he's not there every night to see what's being done. By the way, I have not failed yet. It's been tough. Especially on taco night. Grease scatters. It's a mess. Anyways, listen to this. So, you know, you're working out like, I realize when I'm doing the dishes every night that people are less inclined to help you because, like, oh, he's got this. Totally sucks. Bad attitude, right? But, and it's like, I'm going to be taken advantage of with this. Like, people will stop doing the dishes once they know that, hey, he's not going to bed without it because he committed to the Lord to do this. And I started working this out in my heart. I was like, thinking about how I was going to deal with this because I, I knew this day would come. Right? So I'm pre-praying for it because I don't want to fail. And, uh, and then I realized, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm creating an environment where I am assuming the worst what other people are going to do. That they're going to take advantage of me. You see what happened there? They, a, these people have not taken advantage of me. Right? Matter of fact, Hannah has done the dishes like a billion times with my daughter. Like she helps out. She's like, oh, there's dishes. And 
I think she feels bad because I'm in the kitchen all the time perpetually. But you realize that I expected the worst of people. But what it did is my trying to be excellent actually brought the best out of people. People are trying to help me out. Like they're rinsing their dishes, they're throwing them in the dishwasher, they're cleaning up after themselves. Like more people are putting things away, except for myself. That's another issue. But everybody else in my house is actually supporting me. It's really weird, but I believe the worst, right? And so then I was talking to Trace about this, and I said, you know, this is just a problem with marriages in general. Because we build up what we think the other person's motives and thoughts are. Like it's a totally fake person. Like, this person I made my wife out to be, oh, she's going to stop doing dishes and she's going to stop caring. That is not my wife. That's a made-up human being. But yet, imagine people that go through their whole lives and they have thoughts about their spouses that are completely made up. What do you do five years later? It's like, oh, my spouse never respects me. You know, she just, she doesn't realize how hard I work. She doesn't realize I'm there 12 hours a day and i got to come home and i got to clean up because she's sat at home all day. You may, that's a fake person you've made up. Because, hey, you don't know what your wife has done all day. You've assumed it. I'm pretty sure you haven't asked her what she does all day. And if you ever stay a day at home with your kids, you know you can get nothing done anyways. It's a crisis. And it sounds funny, but it really sucks to stay home with your own kids. <laughs> it really sucks. Especially after you have multiples of these little guys. Yes, thank you. Like the freeze. How many kids have you guys got? Right? I don't know. He doesn't even know. We were over at their house, and they said they have a kid named Gluten-Free. I didn't say the joke. There were so many kids, I was like, I just assumed there's like a boy in the back named Gluten. But you get what I'm saying. It's like we build up these false narratives about our spouses. And then wives, we do the same. We, wives, you do maybe do the same things, right? Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't love me. He's not romantic like he used to. Like, not at all thinking. It's like, man, that guy is working 14 hours a day. You know, the guy's... You're just putting yourself in the other person's shoes, and we just assume these terrible narratives about each other. When you read a text, do you read it in a different voice than maybe it was intended? Did you believe the best in somebody? Right? You're like, oh, I know what this person. Oh, try, I know this person. I know what they're getting at. How about pausing and says, love believes the best in each other? Right? Doesn't mean we're naive. Right? But just go through it. It's like, man, what false narratives have I built up around all these things? Because we have these people inside our heads, and like. And I know, I know I do it, and so I assume you do it too, is we assume certain things about certain people. This is what I expect out of you. Right? We do it with our kids, our spouses, our coworkers, our bosses. And just believe in the best. Like maybe, maybe their motive isn't as nefarious and evil as you think it is. Right? Maybe you've just been taking it that way for years. And so many broken marriages because of that lack of communication. Right? Like the person you're married to is totally different than the person you have in, their, in your head because you've just thought so negatively about them for so long that you can't escape this false creature you've made out of them. Right? And everything they do, you just immediately think of that creature that you've created. And maybe they're trying to love them the best way they know how. Maybe they're just different people. We're all wired differently. Like my wife and I just perpetually joke, I am a... a, a Sounds like I'm a pervert. I'm not. I'm a toucher, you know, the feely kind of guy. You know, like it, it can be weird because you know I walk past people and I'll touch you on the shoulders. It's like it's like don't touch me, dude. <laughs> it's like I realize I do that all the time. Let's walk past you. It's like, but that's how I express love is, is I touch. My wife is a don't touch me. I don't know how God puts these things together, but she hates being touched, right? And she did say it's just when I touch her, right? That was <laughs> no, 
but my wife likes words of affirmation. She likes uh, service, acts of service. She likes things being done for her. Like she likes quality time. I like being left alone. It's really weird. So she likes, she wants all this quality time, and I want to be left alone. So it's it's a challenge. But I just realized, uh, I was telling, this is what I was telling Tracy. I'm just like, man, people are wired so differently. And it's like, I know for a fact my wife tries hard. I really do. I know my wife absolutely loves me. And the idea that she didn't do dishes, that I would begin to make this creature up that would not help me out, just to watch me have to do the dish every night. I was like, man, that is so unfair. That's so unfair, right? What an evil, wicked thought I had. And then, like I said, when I did it, people are trying to help me. Does that make sense? For me? And I really, I really wanted to beat this point home. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. There's hope for your future. If you see there's nothing good around the bend, it's a tough way to live. I'm not. I'm older than most of you, and I'm younger than some of you. Things always get better. I know that's hard to believe. Good times don't last forever, and bad times don't last forever. There's seasons. Like I've been through times I just I didn't see how God was going to get me out of it. Have you ever been in a real? As Ron Bergman would say, man, I'm in a real pickle right now, right? Like we're in a. Like there's no way. I, I like I have faced times where it's like I don't know how financially I'm going to be delivered. Like like, yeah, here I am, right? <clears throat> My bills are paid and everything's good. It worked out. Right? It's just we just view things so weird. And this is the impetus of love. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Your job is just to get through the day. Amen? Amen. And we're making these incremental changes. Let's read one last scripture. This comes from John 3.18. It says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or truth. It's not enough to just know these things. We have to do these things, friends. And I'm not a prophet, you know this. But I will say the church is going to continue to tear itself apart. I think the Bible says that judgment begins in the house of God. And I think certain things have to come to pass before the return of our Lord. And the idea of um, a church that is synonymous with politics... Anytime a church aligns itself, and I'm not, I'm saying either party, this isn't like a Republican Democrat joke, like that. I'm not setting you up for anything. But our Christianity is in the political stage right now, and it never goes well for true Christianity. Throughout history, whenever a government adopts a religion, it's bad. It's always bad news. We're, we're, we're separate from the government, the church, the true church of Jesus Christ, the called out ones. And when we see you let us love, not talk. There's just a lot of talk. People saying I'm a Christian and they're saying, you know, they're spousing these things, but there's zero action on it. They are not kind. They are rude. They're, they're the, every, every, everyone that yells the loudest they are a Christian are the worst examples of Christians I could possibly imagine. Because true Christians, the Bible says, pray to live a quiet life to work peaceably in your hands. Right? Meeting the needs of others. Not tearing each other down. Praying for those. Like, does the Bible say to insult those who are different than you? Right? I'm not talking about one person. I know you're thinking, oh, trust me, this is everybody. Here's the problem. If it was just one person or one party, we'd be okay because we could just call it out, isolate it, fix it. The problem is this is just across the board. This is everybody. Insults rule the day. Slander rules the day. Hate is being promoted by people that are saying they're Christians. On both sides, every side, everywhere you go, the media. And what are we to do about it? 
got to quit talking about it, friends. We've got to start doing it. Because people that aren't Christians like are really being turned off by Christianity right now. For people that say they're Christians and they're living another way. We're being mocked in the, in the public square. We're being mocked for what we believe, the ideas that we espouse. We don't have a leg to stand on. Right? But I'm telling you, I promise you, you live these things and you begin to angle your life towards living like Jesus, living simply, quietly, peacefully, loving, turning the cheek. This is radical. This is why we're still talking about Jesus thousands of years later. This is why guys like MLK are so revered. Non-violent protest. That's the one, like, you've heard it said before, it's like, man, the government loves violence because they know how to deal with violence. You fight back, right? They've got bigger weapons than us, right? We can fight against the police all day long, but we're going to lose. It's like fighting against the Marine Corps, right? You're going to lose, right? Hopefully you think that way. But what do you do with a person that doesn't fight back? All you can do is lose against that person because the moment you hit a person that doesn't fight back, who's the loser in that battle? It's the person who hit. You see a bunch of peaceful people protesting peacefully and you see the cops break out the batons and start beating them. Whose side are you on automatically, regardless of the cause? You're on the people's side, right? At least I am. It's like, those, what are they doing? They're sitting there. Right? I'm not saying sitting in the freeway either because those guys should differently about some scenarios. Right? But you get what I'm saying. Hopefully you get what I'm saying here. Let us love in action, friends. This is my great encouragement for the year. So, um, you heard uh, Pastor Trace's message last week, and this is my encouragement to you. Go through 1 Corinthians 13. Where are your weak areas? Where can you work on those things? And not in word only. Like, like start doing it. Right? Like, God will meet you when you exercising your faith means you take that first step. Right? Hold yourself accountable. Have somebody pray with you. Like, call up somebody. Call Trace. Call me. Your, your fight club. It's like, hey, you know, I really need to work on not being rude. I'm really rude to my kids. Okay. Good. You have someone to be accountable to. Like, how, and Then you can devise a strategy. Okay, so how are we going to do this? How are we going to work on your patience? I have, you, you, hopefully this all helps. Yes. Amen? Amen? Okay. I think if you do that, I think that it will be a, a successful start for this church because... We need to be the light. We need to be the salt. Amen. Not just saved. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we...